Well, today we're going to continue our series in 1 Corinthians. And I know many of you have been tracking with us, reading this letter from Paul to the church of Corinth. We've talked about how uh, this church was in crisis. They were struggling in many ways. They were struggling with uh, this idea of wisdom. They were taking godly wisdom versus man's wisdom, and they really struggled there. They were struggling with unity issues. They were divided uh, as a people, and we've talked about how division in a church is like cancer. It is, it is uh, just destructive within a church. They were struggling with lawsuits we talked about a couple weeks ago. And Paul, in chapter 6 in particular, over and over says, Don't you know? He's talking to them about things that he had taught before, but the church had slipped away, had, were struggling. Pastor Pete did an incredible job in chapter 5 uh, talking about a very specific issue about expelling the immoral brother. The overall idea is that there was conflict, there was dysfunction. And along the way, we've been seeing how Paul is demonstrating this importance of Christian identity, who you are in Christ, and what a Christ follower looks like. He's saying, look, this is what a Christ follower should be, act like it. And we've seen that over and over. We'll see that even today. Um, in chapter 6, last time we were together, the verse 11, it says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, so act like it. And boy, that's really meaningful. And if the goal was to have the mind of Christ, which it is, <laughs> Corinth needed to relearn a few things, to rediscover what that really meant. And I would say the Gateway Church in this season, we need to be learning. We need to be teachable, each of us, and we need to be growing in these things. What 1 Corinthians, it wasn't just for the church in Corinth. It is for today, for our church. And so, um, but I've got, had a little hard time. Um, I've got a little bad rap about going on vacation and asking Pete to talk about expelling the immoral brother. And I know you guys are all thinking it, and, uh, and I just want to make, you know, talk about this. First of all, Pete, you did a great job. If you weren't here, you need to get online and listen. It was a powerful word with an incredible application, and I listened to it, and I'm thankful for that. But I just want you to know that I knew I would get my turn, okay? I knew it was coming at the end of chapter 6, uh, and I, I think that today's message from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, the topic is sexual immorality again, and I believe that this particular passage is equally challenging to what Pete had to deal with, all right? And so I just want to set the record straight. In fact, Thistleton, one of the commentators I've been studying and reading, he says that this particular uh, verses here that we're going to read in just a moment are the most important theological uh, uh, text in the New Testament about the human body. It is really highly significant. Paul is attacking illicit sexual behavior, uh, pornania, same word that uh, Pete studied, uh, where we get the word pornography, but it just really is a uh, overall sexual sin. But what he does here in this passage is very interesting. He not only says, you know, this is not, uh, you shouldn't do this, but he explains why, and we're going to see that. And he's confronting the theology on which the previous behaviors are predicated. And this passage is the best scripture in all of the Bible to answer the question, is sex 
outside of marriage wrong? And if it's wrong, why is sex outside of marriage wrong? So we're in for a treat this morning, (laughs) I'll tell you. It also addresses how does a Christ follower survive in a sex-saturated culture? How would a believer defend themselves against the relentless pressure that we're all bombarded with? And uh, for Corinth and the situation that they were in, and for the church there in Corinth, they found themselves caught in this battle of sexuality of epic proportion, just like we are today. And so we've got a lot to learn, and so I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to stand. We're going to honor God's Word. We're going to read these things, and we're going to ask God to help us. And uh, you can follow along. Um, There's Bibles in the back you can grab. Uh, It's important to look at this with us, and uh, let's look what it says. Chapter 6, verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. But by His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do, not, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two shall become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Just let that set in for a second. We're going to hit there, get there. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man, a man commits are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, from all these other things, and I really believe that therefore goes all the way back to the beginning of chapter 5. Therefore, honor God with your body. Let's pray. Lord, your word is really powerful. It's meaningful to us, and I pray that it will just ring true. I pray that you'd speak through me, uh, sharpen us today, help us to address an area uh, that in our culture is very difficult, very prominent, and very casual. But Lord, you bring a strong word through your servant Paul and to us this morning, and I pray that it would, uh, you'd just speak, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. How many of you would agree that we live in a sex-obsessed culture? We are caught up in sex. (laughs) As a culture, it would seem that we just can't get enough. TV, cable, satellite, magazines, novels, movies, advertising going down the road, the internet, we are bombarded with sex. In fact, Josh McDowell, a few years back, he estimated that the average person watches on television or movies 9,200 implied sexual acts on TV per year. 9,200 per year, the average person. And out of those 9,200, 81% of those are outside of the commitment of marriage. 81%. So over a 10-year period of time, let's just take an 8-year-old girl or boy, 
to the, from the time they're 8 to the time they're 18, 10 years, that's 93,000 suggested scenes of intercourse, and 72,000 of those were either extramarital or premarital in nature. It leaves teens and college students, singles, married people, retired people asking the question, what is wrong with having sex outside of marriage? And 1 Corinthians really addresses this. Paul is writing to the church, uh, to a people, he's not writing just to a building, but to the people living in a sex-crazed city similar to our culture today. In fact, to be Corinthianized, I've talked about this before, was to have sex with a prostitute. It was very derogatory. It'd be like using the word slut uh, to be Corinthianized. Sexual undertones in the culture everywhere and in the church as well. There were people being saved, which was wonderful, but they were coming from the pagan temples, but wanting to go back and they were using these pagan temples to have sex with temple prostitutes. It was very, very prevalent. Needless to say, Paul is addressing a serious problem, but he doesn't just say, you know, there's a problem here. Don't do this. He doesn't just lay down the law. He really, in this text, speaks to the heart of why it is important to keep ourselves sexually pure. So let me just take a second here, and we're going to talk about sex and that God created sex, all right, today. And I want you to know, I know some of you have younger kids, and you're saying, okay, is this time for me to slip out? Well, my commitment to you today is to keep the topic PG, okay? And, uh, but I want to encourage you that there are opportunities, especially after this morning, to talk with your kids about sex. Good conversation material at lunch today, okay? And you're saying, you are crazy. But I know some of us are, it's harder than others, but we're going to be able to walk away from here saying, you know, there's some things we could discuss and at different levels. I just want you to know, my son is 10 years old. We've had three sex talks already. (laughs) When he was about six years old, I took him out and started to explain to, to him, and we were talking about this last night, that, you know, Logan, you need to treat women with respect. That's where the sex talk starts, amen? We've done it a couple years ago, and then on vacation, just him and uh, the, just the two of us were out camping, and, uh, and then just recently, we had the big talk, you know, I mean, with pictures and everything, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so I just want to encourage you, parents, be bold, talk about sex, because God created sex. And by the way, when God created sex, He intended sex to be fulfilling, to be good, to be satisfying, And he created the equipment, if I could say it that way, and the emotions to go along with it for it to be pleasurable. There's nothing wrong with sex, but God did give us some rules, some guidelines along the way how to use this gift. You say, why did God do that? Why did God spend time in his word to talk about these things? Well, he did that so we would not distort it. We wouldn't twist it. We wouldn't pervert it, uh, either man or the enemy attacking in these different ways. And so there's guidelines in Scripture. There's advice. There's wisdom. And in this particular passage, in uh, verses 12 through 20, I see Paul giving warning. He talks about four concepts. And I want to lay these out for you. The first, or the, these, these are the four. Sexual sin, there's always a cost. Sexual sin controls. 
sexual sin corrupts and it contradicts. Now, you're looking and you're saying, all those start with C. And you say, did you come up with those on your own? And I, I can't say I did, okay? But we are going to see all of these in this scripture, and we want to start in verse number 12, all right? So in verse number 12, it starts off, and Paul is saying, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Let's talk about this, because sin, number one, costs. This is quoting a Corinthian saying, a slogan that would have been very popular in the era when Paul is writing this. It was meant to justify their actions. Everything is permissible. In other words, I can do whatever I want. It's okay, right? God will forgive me. There's grace. And in that Greco-Roman world, sin of the body, they believed if you sinned against your body, that there were no consequences. Only your soul would live on. And so in their minds, you know, like sleeping with a prostitute, which we'll get to, it was no, everything is permissible. But Paul is saying, look, you may say that, but not everything is beneficial. And that word in the Greek means it's not profitable. Not, there's no gain in participating in, in this conversation, in sexual immorality. He, the question is, are you better off because of this sin, because of this sexual immorality? And Paul is saying, no, there's a cost to sexual sin. In fact, few things have as many pitfalls or traps or problems other than sexual sin. Jonathan Decoux, uh, who used to be in our John 17 group, in his notes on this particular passage, he wrote this. He said, since we cannot get enough, and he's talking about sexual sin in our society, he says, we find ourselves aborting babies, having more children out of wedlock, and we're fighting more disease. And you think about it, there's a lot of truth there. Sexual sin causes marriages to crumble, compromise, broken homes, heartache, the spread of disease, more than drugs and alcohol. And we look back to the 60s, the sexual revolution, and some of you guys were living then, and you say, oh, it's all about sexual freedom, right? And there are many people that have bought into that in our culture and in this day. But the results, when you look at the 1960s to the uh, 2000s and beyond, teen pregnancies have skyrocketed, premarital sex has increased, extramarital sex has increased, uh, STDs have increased, divorce has increased. And what really gets me is that sexual assault has increased and sexual child uh, molestation has increased. All of those things because of some sexual freedom that's being shared in our culture, it's devastating. And what's devastating about it is that just the opposite of that is God's plan. The opposite of purity, God's sexual lifestyle, people are happier and healthier. They're more financially stable and successful. And there's more satisfying sexual relationships when there's purity in the mix. Sexual sin causes men and women to lie, to steal, to kill. There's bitterness, slander, gossip, you name it. Sexual sin is dangerous. There's a cost it's very, very costly. In God's, in God's Word, it talks a lot about it. I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4. 
The Proverbs were written, um, these were things that were written as wisdom to the people. These are things that we should be sharing with our kids, lessons to teach your kids. And I just want to give you an example of that in chapter 4, verse number 1. It says, listen, my sons, to your father's instructions. Pay attention and gain understanding. In other words, this is important. Teach this to your kids. Verse 10, same thing. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. Another place in that same chapter, verse 20, says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. And could I just say this morning as we read in chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Proverbs, and we're going to look at some of these things that is God's word to us about adultery, about sexual immorality, we need to listen. Don't discard it. Don't say, oh, that's for someone else. No, it's for you and it's for your kids. It's important to share. And so let's look at chapter 5 of Proverbs. It says again, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen to the words of insight that you may maintain discretion with your lips may perverse, uh, uh, may, uh, and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smooth as oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gal, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. In other words, when we're looking at this and we're looking at sexual immorality here, and uh, and he repeats it over and over, we're going to see what he's saying. He's saying, look, it's not what you see is what you get when it comes to these types of discussions. Let's continue. Now, my sons, listen to me again. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her, from the adulterous woman. Do not go near her door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel, lest your feast uh, lest, your, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. What is he talking about here? In modern day, Here today, we're talking about alimony and child support, giving your strength, giving your wealth to someone else because of sexual immorality. It goes on to say, at the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will groan. In other words, at the end of your life, and your body doesn't function like it used to sexually, and your family doesn't respect you, then what? You have a history of broken relationships, sexual immorality. What will you say to your grandkids? How will you be remembered? That's what Proverbs is saying. Verse 12, you will say, How I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I will not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of ruin, utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. But then he says this, encouraging us in verse 15, Drink from your own cistern running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? And of course the answer is no. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, with the adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Why? Listen, for a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all 
those paths. God knows. And the evil desires of the wicked man ensnares him. The cords of his son hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. These are words for us to sink our teeth into. It continues in chapter 6. Let's look at verses 23 and on. It says, For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is light. And this correction of discipline are ways of life, keeping you from the immoral woman. And by the way, this could be keep you from the immoral man, okay? This is not just written for men. For the smooth tongue of a wayward wife, do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread and the adulteress preys upon your very life. I love this. Verse 27. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. The cost is dearly. Can you scoop fire into your lap without getting burned? Absolutely not. A couple more. Chapter 7. This is important. Say to wisdom, verse 4, you are my sister, and calling understanding your kinsmen. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. Verse 18, come, let us drink, the adulterous woman says, a drink of love to the morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband's not home. Uh, he's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, her, he followed her like an ox going to slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into the snare, little knowing it would what? cost him his life sexual sin costs it will cost you your health your home your honor and it's an important message for you to understand and get your mind around so not only is paul saying sexual sin will cost but there's another thing in verse 12 it says everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial there's a cost involved He goes on, he says, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. The second thing I want you to see is that sexual sin controls. This idea of not being mastered is an idea of being enslaved in the Greek text. Sexual sin controls. It enslaves. And the more you get into it, the more it will control you you may think oh if i just satisfy the need the need will go away or it'll be over in church that is just not the truth it's not the case the world would say ah just fulfill the urge just do it but can i be honest and say i've experienced personally and many of you have that lust never has enough Paul says, I am not going to allow this to master me in regards to sexual sin because it's addictive, it's habit-forming. And without the God boundaries that God puts up for us, sex can become all-consuming and the most destructive force in a person's life. And that addictive behavior leads to distorted thinking, rationalizing, 
justifying, blaming, excuses, guilt and shame. Church, sexual sin costs and sexual sin controls. But there's a third thing, and we see it in chapter uh, 6, verse 13. Sexual sin corrupts as well. I believe with all my heart that God has a plan for each and every one of our lives. But when you engage in sexually immoral behavior, it will corrupt your life. How many times does Satan steal God's primary plan for someone's life? They throw it away. God's will, God's plan, they forfeit it. And we see that in verse 13, which is, by the way, a very interesting verse. It's another uh, Corinthian slogan. This would be something that they would have heralded uh, in, the, in the streets. Listen to what it says. It says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. You're saying, what? But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Let me try to explain this. What it's saying here is that this is, they're saying sex is no different than just eating. There's an urge. The stomach is for food. The body is made for sex. You've heard the argument. You may have said this, or maybe you know someone that does. You just say, you know what? I've got this urge, this physical or biological need. Well, sex as God describes it, is more than a physical or a biological process. There's also a deep spiritual and emotional experience as well. And because of that, unrestrained sensuality is to sex as gluttony is to eating. Both are sinful and both are dangerous and disastrous. You say, well, sex inside of marriage is creative, right? It's beautiful, But the reality is sex outside of marriage at any level is destructive. Sex is more than just an act. There's a uniting between two people. Turn with me to the very beginning of Scripture, Genesis chapter 2. We see this. God kind of lays out his plan for Adam and Eve. And it says in uh, verse 20, it says, "But But Adam had no suitable helper for him. So the Lord caused the man to fall asleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up a place in his flesh. When the Lord made, uh, God made a woman from the rib, he had taken out of the man. He brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. In verse 24, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother. What? To be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is an interesting verse. God intended for male and female relationships to be together. And when Adam sees his soon-to-be wife, he goes bonkers. He flips. He writes a song. That's a little song there. And when he uses that word, he sees his wife, and he says, she shall be called woman. Because he said, whoa, man. (laughs) Actually, in the Hebrew, that woman means soft. He saw her and he saw, wow, she's soft. She's beautiful. And it describes there in Genesis that they are to be united, bonded together, one flesh. Now back to 1 Corinthians 6.13. There he talks about that. A union is created. 
that the body is for the Lord. The body is not just made for temporal pleasures like the stomach is. God has given purpose for your body. Let's look at, continue in verse 14 of chapter 6. Uh, flip with me back there. It says, By His power, God has raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. You say, what is this verse doing in here? Well, the theology of the body continues. He's saying that our bodies will serve an eternal purpose. Now, we'll be changed, the Bible says in Revelation, but our bodies will serve an eternal purpose purpose that's why we must take care of it today our bodies will be useful in heaven we are not just animals how many have been to the zoo or uh, been on safari a couple weeks ago i was in africa and safari animals have no shame i mean you know animals you know they're when they're excited you can tell and they're you know they don't they don't you know hide behind the bushes and we are not created in the same way We're humans and our bodies need to be protected. The point is, is that sexual sin will affect your destiny. It can corrupt your destiny. And if I can speak to the young people here, um, and you decide if you're young, but listen, getting involved sexually outside of marriage will damage God's purpose in your life. Is that the truth? You could miss God's greatest plans for your life by messing around. The value of purity is incredible. The point is, is that the more pure you are, young people, the better. But if you start messing around, it can and will circumvent God's plan, God's path for your life. Now, Brennan, we've talked about this a little bit, and I'm not going to put you on the spot, but um, it is... Not very common for people, young people, to stay sexually pure. Would you say that's correct from your experience and your exposure? And that, it's tragic. It's not that God can't use you if you fall sexually. There is forgiveness, and we're going to talk about that. But there will be a price. King David was forgiven, but he paid an incredible price for his sin. Grace is great right? We're washed clean, thank the Lord. But there are some, and maybe even some here, that will tread on grace, and they need to repent and get their lives right with the Lord. Sexual immorality corrupts. Some would say, well, if I'm going to get married anyway, what's the problem? Okay? Well, the way I see it, it's an issue primarily of respect and self-control. And if you are sexually active, even if you're going to marry the person before marriage, it will corrupt and it will bleed into other areas of your life. Communication will be affected. The point is, is that sex before marriage, I promise you, will affect sex after marriage. The point is that sex... Before marriage will affect your ability to communicate, will affect your ability to bond. No amount of sexual pleasure is worth it. Jessica and I, by God's grace, we were both virgins when we got married. Very thankful for that in our history. It wasn't easy, but uh, we were both, uh, both virgins. And we struggled. It was hard enough. <laughs> I can't imagine 
bringing other sexual uh, experiences into a marriage situation. It's not God's best for you or for anyone. Let's continue. Verse 15. I'm going to read verses 15 through 17 here because they really tie together. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite her with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two shall become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. The idea here is that sexual sin will corrupt unity. We are supposed to be one with Christ. He asks the question. He says, look, you know, is it okay that you would unite you and Christ with a prostitute? And the word there, never, in the, in the Greek, means God forbid. You cannot say that never with enough emphasis. Wherever you go, Jesus is with you. Do you believe that? And Jesus is with you. Would you invite him? along to have sexual uh, practices? Of course not. That'd be blasphemous. But the truth is, you are dragging Christ right into your situations. If you're a believer, you're one with Christ. And when there's sexual sin, it will corrupt that identity, your personal identity, that oneness that you're supposed to have with Christ. And Paul uses the most casual of relationships He's saying not someone that's married or that has made vows, but he uses the prostitute. Even in the most casual sexual situation, there is a bonding. Very important. We see that in Genesis chapter 2, which we already read. Sex is more than a physical union. There's emotional and psychological and spiritual connections all over the place. And in Corinth, the Christians, like I mentioned at the beginning, they were coming to the Lord, but they thought nothing of visiting their old temple prostitutes. There were hundreds, if not thousands, of temple prostitutes at the temple of Aphrodite. It would be like going to Amsterdam. And I was just there, and I walked down some of the red light districts on a Sunday morning. And even on a Sunday morning at 10 in the morning, there were ladies out in the windows. And it was, it was really heavy and really sad and very scary but even in the most casual circumstances there is a uniting so you're at a party and you say i never knew the person but you had sexual relationships there's a union there or you say ah well we thought we were going to get married and so we had premarital sex there was a union there or you say oh man i was just at a really low point in my life there was a union there C.S. Lewis says something very interesting uh, in the screw taped letters. He says, when you are sexually active, there is either eternal enjoyment or eternal enduring. And that's really the case. It's the difference of sex within marriage. There's eternal enjoyment or any sex outside of marriage. There will be an eternal enduring. Our society is very casual when it comes to sexual things. But our society is wrong. The society we live in, the Bible describes the theology of the body that sex is the joining of two people. 
and a part of you is lost to the other person or a part of you is given to the other person. There's a gluing that happens. And because of that, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All the other sins a man commits are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Flee from sexual immorality. Run from it. Don't be casual because it's a sin against your own body. There is no other sin like this, Paul is saying. It strikes at your personhood. The point is, is how many that have been sexually active at some point outside of marriage have felt like an object. It's hard to get those past encounters out of your mind. The truth is, is that if you're sexually active, you are sharing emotion, emotional space with every ex-wife, with every girlfriend, whatever the circumstances are. The truth is it can affect your ability to show affection in your own life once you are married. And if you're not married today, don't think for a second that you can act like whatever and then chalk it up to sowing your wild oats. There is a cost. Sexual sin controls. Sexual sin corrupts. But there's a fourth thing that we see in verses 19 and 20. Sexual sin contradicts. Let's read it. It says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Church, sexual sin contradicts what God's Word says. This particular verse in verses are talking about our relationship with the Lord. God makes your heart His home. It's beautiful. You, as a believer, if you've given your heart to the Lord, are the temple of God. And He has provided that at a great price. We were slaves, but we've been bought back. That's the message of the gospel. You are a temple. And because of that, if I could be so bold, if you wouldn't have sexual practices or participate in sexual immorality right here in the temple of God, why would you do it anywhere? Don't do it anywhere. Sexual sin is a sin against our bodies. And you say, well, you know, I don't get it. It doesn't really make sense. Well, I was talking with a friend this week, and uh, he gave me some insight um, in regards to our body and where, how does sexual sin really affect our bodies? What's part of our body that is most affected by sexual sin? It's right here. It's our brains. False neuropaths, distorted views of what's real, distorted views of what is good. And what God says through the inspiration of Scripture he ends this chapter. He says, Honor God with your body. Honor God with your body. In other words, He is encouraging us, and worship team, you can come. He's encouraging us through the scripture, 
is that we are called to honor God with our bodies. We are to act like believers. And whether you're young or old or anywhere in between, the point is, is that God wants to be glorified through your body. He wants us to be pure. There is an eternal significance that comes when we understand God's plan for us in this way. Now, the way I look at it, church, is that God's word speaks for itself. Amen? And biblical revelation should affect our sexuality. And this morning, as we track in the next few moments, we're going to get to a point where I'm going to ask you to draw a line in the sand and commit to sexual purity in your life. But I want to share just for a moment. See, we all come to God's house. We're worshiping together. We're the body of Christ. But we all have different stories. Our pasts are varied in many different ways. When we talk about sexual immorality, we talk about the truth of God's word, the reality is there are some here that have been hurt or they've made mistakes. There are some here that have been taken advantage of. There are some here that have taken this whole topic far too casual. And I believe God wants to meet us this morning and provide healing. I've shared my story uh, at different times, and I won't go into a lot of detail this morning. I have. But my life has not been perfect when it comes to this area. And I've needed God's grace in my life. And I've been on my face before the Lord saying, God, I need freedom from sin, from this sin, sexual immorality. And I want to just encourage you that this morning there is freedom that's available for you and for me if we embrace it. And I wrote my notes here, whether you're a grandma or a grandpa, a young person, a pastor here, a leader, if you're a lady or dealing with fantasy or you're a, a man dealing with pornography on the internet or maybe you're involved in an affair or whatever the case might be today. The reality is when it comes to sexual immorality, we desperately need the Lord to work in our lives to help us.